Trending news right now. Let's get into it. Hashtags and headlines in the last 24 hours. And our time is 21 minutes past four. If you've just become part of the SAC, welcome. Let's talk to mighty Jamie, researcher, analyst, and social political commentator then on these topics. How are you today, uh, mighty? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. A great one because it's our first one for 2023. We had load shedding woes last Tuesday and we couldn't get a hold of you because of network and phone issues and all that. Issues, issues, issues. But here we are today. How's the year been for you? Well, I mean, the year has been okay. It's just we have all collectively in South Africa been going through some drama because of this load shedding. So much drama, even tigers on the loose. Oh, yeah, and then the tigers. I don't know what Guido Montesha is doing, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many tigers. Hey, I don't even know. Like, it's just like a movie in this country. That's um, what that one uh, uh, clip, the meme, where the guy says, uh, you know, we, we, we have a movie every week. We even forget what the other movie was about or the other scandal. There's a scandal every week, he says, or every day. I'm telling you, uh, Hollywood needs to come here for ideas. We've got so many. True. Hashtag CBD clash. Let's talk about this. Uh, Calm has been restored in Johannesburg CBD, but there was uh, a clash there between police and protesters. What triggered uh, the clashes between foreign nationals and police yesterday? Well, I did watch the police uh, spokesperson on SABC trying to explain everything that happened. And I must be honest, I was left with more answers than, um, you know, uh, clarity, more questions than I, I was left with clarity, really. Mm. Because um, it seems that there was a, a 28-year-old man who died during a search and seizure operation. And then protesters took to the streets in anger. And we saw, you know, that there was uh, debris that was put on the, on the road. Uh, you know, there were some kind of skirmishes that were happening there. And um, the man is yet to be named. And the police are investigating the cause of his death. And it seems that there were, you know, clashes between uh, foreign national communities and police. All of this doesn't seem to make any sense um, outside of the context of that there was a search and seizure operation. And even as I listened uh, to the police, you know, um, I was left with a lot of questions. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to follow the story. Uh, unfortunately, we don't follow as many stories as we should in terms of to really get to the bottom of it mm-hmm. because they are, you know, we're limited in terms of our resources and capacity. Um, but really, uh, it was quite a disturbing scene and it just makes you realize that there are some parts of uh, Johannesburg where law and order are not standard or default, you know, and we have to be worried about that in general because the rule of law is supposed to be something that is a bedrock of, uh, you know, any functioning state. And in in that book, uh, which is called Why Nations Fail, Mm -hmm. they point out that as soon as you can no longer provide, you know, consistent... Uh, application of law in every community and every society you begin to have problems and and that's the economist that uh, one of the earlier callers was talking about his name is Darren Asimoglu and he wrote another book, uh, a book with a, a man called James Robinson so they wrote a book together and that's where they speak about creative destruction you know which relates to that Adidas thing but another thing they speak speak about is the necessity for um, rule of law 
Please, can you uh, put that up, if you don't mind, on your... Uh, we'll follow you on Twitter, of course, and then we can get that uh, link to the book or a picture Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll put it up. I'll put it up. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, much. yeah, I'll definitely do that. So the protesters are accusing the police of killing this man, the 28-year-old. Do we know what the exact cause of death was? No, no, because all of this still remains to be investigated. We don't know whether it was a deliberate death. We, uh, we don't know whether there was maybe some police misconduct. There's no footage of this particular incident. We don't know whether it was a drug dealer. We don't know anything except for the fact that, you know, there was a skirmish, there was a search and seizure operation. There weren't even any arrests when uh, the, the interview was yesterday. We're asking the police to say, okay, who was arrested? Because we saw all of this, you know, uh, turbulence in the, in the CBD. And they said, well, we don't have any arrests yet. All we can tell you is that things have been returned to normal which struck me as a very odd thing yeah. because one, there's a dead body. Two, there are protesters who were seen you know, on video. The police were there, but still no action was taken, which told me that there's still a lot to the story and we're still in the preliminary stages. I just wonder if there are any resources really to go beyond us discussing you know, the, um, the, the issues at this level because... Sometimes, you know, you do need the police to also provide information, to also come together and actually then provide you with the additional context. But without that additional context, then you really don't have anything. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that one goes then. Hashtag Mampinja. Let's uh, talk about that. Mampinja's mother mm-hmm. dying weeks after burying her son. Uh, Zamanguni Kumede was her name. Umama, they called her Gogo. Mm-hmm. She passed away on Sunday night. How bizarre this is that she suffered a stroke and was admitted to hospital. Same thing that happened to her son. Yeah, you know, uh, there's many there's many ways that you can look at this particular story. You know, if you look at it with the African lens, you know, uh, it, it can be a, a story that makes you really worry to say, okay, uh, you know, is this uh, like a spiritual attack or mm. something to that effect? But oftentimes when people are heartbroken, these kind of things happen, you know, because older people, sometimes they're holding on. And um, when something major happens, you'll sometimes find spouses who lived long with each other. If one of them passes away, one the other one passes away shortly yeah, thereafter. It's a real thing, yeah? It is, it is a real thing. And I think that's what I would chalk it up to is a sad story. A mother who really loved her son. And, uh, you, you know, um, then for it to happen like this, just shows the bond that they had and also, you know, that she just couldn't make it through the, the trauma of all of this. Well, Mampinja died at the age of 40, real name Mandlengosi Mapumulo. How old was Mam? Well, it says here, um, my website is asking me to verify that I'm not a robot. Because um, I also so haven't I, seen her age, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think I'm not sure about what her age was. Uh, it's it, the, the 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 website that I'm looking at is just saying that she's passed. She passed away on on Sunday night, uh, but it's not actually disclosing the age. Um, but I mean, in any event, yeah, it, it's a very sad story yeah. about you know um, a, a bright star in South Africa, and there are many lessons to be learned just from the way that he lived, the way he attained success, and also some of these. Um, issues around his death uh, in and of themselves. But aside from that, um, you know, I think as South Africans, we can all understand that when these things happen, people will will definitely be heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can lead to, you know, 
these kind of, 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 of outcomes. My thoughts go out to that family. Honestly, they are dealing with just a lot right now. And uh, may they find solace somewhere, somehow. I don't even know how. Um, hashtag me and mama arms. Let's move overseas. The firms mm. in Europe and in the U.S. have been cited as helping Myanmar manufacture arms. This is according to a report by prominent human rights experts. Mm. Mm. So when it comes to, you know, arms, there's often a discussion which happens where people say, listen, who benefits from these conflicts? Who benefits from oppression? And um, what is being reported by Al Jazeera and other uh, companies is that um, United Nations experts, uh, former experts, have said that companies in the United States, in Europe and Asia, have been helping Myanmar to actually, uh, you know, manufacture weapons that they've used in human rights abuses. And they've actually said that companies from 13 countries, oh. France, Germany, China, India, Russia, Singapore, and the United States have been providing critical supplies to the production of weapons in Myanmar. And we know that the military regime in Myanmar has actually been launching, uh, you know, attacks on civilians, that it has, you know, committed genocide. Um, there's a long history that just shows that this actually country has been run in a way that is very undemocratic. And, um, you know, even now there was a, a coup recently, where, and then and a coup attempt, and there was a bloody crackdown, and the weapons that are used include guns, ammunition, landmines. As we talk about Myanmar, obviously the other discussion is also in people's minds going to be around the military support even for the war in Ukraine coming from, you know, uh, Europe, coming from America. I was listening to a discussion yesterday where they said that America has spent, I think, over $60 billion in military support just to Ukraine. And then it makes you think, what are the arms companies benefiting from this? Because even though the war may be a just war, at some point you also have to look at the military-industrial complex in and of itself and say, this military capitalism, at what point should we as a global community become hypercritical of it? Because if you look at the, the Myanmar army's equipment, they have everything. They have missiles, they have all form of guns, and the people of Myanmar have no chance really to even protest a, a well-armed military like this. How did this information emerge? I imagine it must have taken years, or, or did it in terms of research? Well, it, it seems as if they did do uh, research, and they produced a, a research report. Actually, uh, uh, this, this group, which is calling themselves the Special Advisory Council in Myanmar, and they published their findings about everything that they did and why they actually did this particular report. I think part of the concern is to actually prove that this business model is one that is causing uh, anti-democratic outcomes. So there's a paper that's actually um, on the internet right now that it, Al Jazeera had linked to their coverage of the story. Mm-hmm. But it, it just goes over why they did it and everything that needs to be uh, done in, in a sense. But what, how they compile the data is they drew on a range of sources. They actually interviewed people who are associated with the Myanmar army and also um, got leaked budget documents from the Ministry of Defense. And then they found that, you know, high-precision machines that were manufactured by companies based in Austria, Germany, Japan, Taiwan, and U.S. actually have been procured and used by the Myanmar military at its weapons factories. 
and they're making automated weapons, they're making a lot of stuff there. You just don't have a chance with that kind of a well-equipped military. And I think people were beginning to ask, why? Why uh, is the Myanmar army so capable of, you know, continuing its oppression? Why do they have this kind of manufacturing power? Only to find out that they've been supplied with these machines. So what what it seems like has happened here is that instead of selling them guns, you know, the arms manufacturing industry said, look, we can sell them guns, but we can sell them the machinery. And they will make their own guns, which is exactly what's happening. Goodness me. So how protected are these human rights experts who maybe now can be seen as whistleblowers? Yeah, well, they're not in Myanmar. So if they were in Myanmar, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be uh, in a position to be releasing this kind of reports. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just the reality because even the opposition leaders or the most prominent Suki, for instance, has been under house arrest for a very long period of time. Those guys don't play games. Um, you can die, you can disappear. The Myanmar military regime is very, very hardcore. So they're using the fact that they have access to these, um, you know, UN international bodies and they've been advisors and have been, you know, sitting in, in positions of bureaucracy to actually make uh, these recommendations and trying to say that, look, UN member states should do everything in their power to restrict, to restrict the army from accessing these supplies so that the people of Myanmar can be protected from the worst manifestations of the dictatorship. All right, let's end off uh, with hashtag Afrima, the African Mm. musicians converging in Senegal for annual awards ceremony. We have to find something to celebrate. So this was the eighth edition of the All Africa Music Awards. Yes, so you know, I wish we had more conversation about our own um, music industry. And as you've said right now, there's been this award ceremony where African musicians are coming together, but we didn't have it being covered in the same way that a few days ago we had Miss Universe being covered. You know, I didn't follow the whole um, Miss Universe thing, but when I woke up, it was all over my timeline. It looks like people stayed up all night to actually be able to um, get all of the information and all of the details. And I think our African music industry is still um, doing so well and we Mm. haven't given it the same kind of attention to say, listen, this is what's happening with our music industry. This is where we are standing, et cetera, et cetera. So the big winners at the AFRIMA Awards were Benna Boy, Davido, Wizkid, Asake. And I think it shows that, you know, Afrobeats is being recognized as the dominant genre in in Africa, you know. And if you look at some of the big songs of 2022, I was actually surprised they were getting over 300 million views, three, 300 million, 200 million, 250. And obviously the, the, the king right now of uh, Afrobeats is, is Boy, right? But the fact that there are so many, um, you know, artists under, you know, this Afrobeat genre now, it's not just one or two big names. Mm-hmm. If you if you fall asleep for three weeks, you'll find that there's 20 names that have popped up and they all have hits and they're being listened to across the continent of 1.3 billion. Of course, um, from, from our perspective in South Africa, we, we, we had uh, Kapsati Small, who was actually also uh, contesting for the best album of the year. And unfortunately, uh, you know, he didn't win this particular time, but obviously he's the piano uh, giant of the year. 
So that's always going to be the case, that there will always be those regional, um, you know, issues in terms of like contestation, etc. But even Amapiano is having a very big moment. I've seen so many American and European artists speaking about how Amapiano is the best genre in the world. They're only catching on to the bug that bit South Africa three, four years ago. So there's a very beautiful moment that is happening for African music broadly and Afrobeat specifically. And it reminds me, and I don't know if you've seen this documentary on Netflix about the, 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 the rise of hip-hop. It was made by a hip-hop professor at one of the universities in Harvard, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and points out that at the beginning, what was critical for hip-hop was for it to have this crossover moment. You know, where you started having artists like Goldie, artists like Madonna, actually, you know, profiling hip-hop in the 80s. And then it started being played, you know, across uh, the Bronx and no longer just, it was no longer just a Harlem sound. It was being played at art exhibitions. It was being consumed by young people all across um, America. And I think where we've seen Afrobeats as a genre now get to is that it has crossed over. Mm. I think some of the big songs last year, Rema had a song featuring a big American artist. I can't remember who. We've seen Justin Bieber uh, featuring on, 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 on some songs as well. We've seen Ed Sheeran. We've seen a lot of people Chris now. Brown, uh, what's this Chris Brown and Wizkid? I love that one. Chris Brown, Wizkid. It's also like a big song. Obviously, Chris Brown, whenever you mention his name, you have to be politically correct. But oh, yeah. the market seems to love uh, that song uh, in and of itself. But that shows the crossover moment when you have white musicians, you have musicians from different countries teaming up with the Africans saying, let's make songs, or I really like that song, let's make a remix. And if you look at the performances now in Europe, in America, you'll see a sea of white people listening to one black performer singing their African songs. And I think that is something beautiful. And it also shows the excellence that Africans are capable of if the politicians don't get in the way. Unfortunately, we don't have good politicians on this continent. They get in the way, they steal the money, and some of the singers will join them and steal the money. But let's leave that story and point out... (laughs) Let's stay on the celebratory tone. (laughs) Point out that, you know, when, when you let the young people of Africa do their thing and you get out of the way, they can captivate the global audience. That's really the moment that we're in. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to go to the playlist and see over 200 songs just on a genre. That, that used to be so rare. It used to be so difficult to find these curated playlists of African music. Our market was not taken seriously. And I think that what we are getting to the point of is where African musicians will become like the, uh, the Spanish singers, you know, like Bad Bunny even though I don't know what Bad Bunny is singing about 90% of the time, I do know that Bad Bunny is the most streamed artist in the world because that South American um, audience is massive. You know, it's almost as as big as us, but there are like 1.3 billion people in Africa and our um, continent is growing at the fastest pace. So in about 10 years, it seems very likely to me that if you go onto a streaming application, the most streamed musician will be an African living in Africa, and they will be able to tour the world and, and be able to sell out arenas on the basis of African music. That shows our potential, our capacity, because we're not just good at music, you know, but it's so brilliant to see this happening mm. within the music genre. I love Afrobeats. I'm always trying to keep up 
but I even struggle to keep up because there's so much happening, you know, and I think only teenagers at this point have got enough time to keep up with everything happening in, in African music broadly. All indicated in the fact that this was a four-day event. I mean, four mm. days of celebrations. It just tells you then what all that you are saying is absolutely true. Well, on that note, we leave it. And of course, uh, on Twitter, you are at MyTJMe. Yes, with an I. With an I. All yes. right, please stay safe and away from the Tigers. We need to be having you next week here. We you know, I wish the Tigers could eat the pit bull. Then I would really support. No, Mighty, you can't say that. You can't say that. We love no, the pit bulls, pit bulls also. They're, they're also animals that we want to protect. No, we need, we need no pit bulls, no Tigers. That's my view. But, uh, <laughs> the Tiger was also running away from load shedding. He's trying to go back to India, that one. <laughs> It was like me caged in this place of darkness. No ways. It was like, I'm, leaving. I'm going back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mighty. Yes, pleasure. Mighty Jamie, researcher, analyst, and social political commentator on our trending news.